Bethel for our 2020. We've had many of our leaders coming up talking about their vision for the ministries here at the church. Uh, we've had praise and worship. We've had children's. We've had missions, all of them. And one of our larger ministries is certainly we'd like to see our church grow. We have a lot of folks out of town uh, this week, which is not uncommon around the holidays. But we said we'd like to see Bethel grow. I would like to see our church grow numerically. I think there's, there's energy in numbers. There's resources in numbers. But also there's two-pronged growth. I would like to see our church, and I speak for pastor and our leadership, we would like to see our church grow spiritually. So not just bring people in to have numbers in here, but bring people in to grow together, walk out this thing out called faith together spiritually and grow in the Lord. And one of the outreaches uh, that we have here, one of the ministries we out here that presented on Wednesday night was outreach. And I thank God for our outreach. What happens here on Wednesday night, we, we, we have some kids that come in from a neighborhood that are bust in that probably would not otherwise hear the gospel, uh, be exposed to believers. They come in. And that is a direct result of an outreach that was done. That was a vision of, of Sister Chris and Kristen and Angela and Jeremy. And, and many of you helped in that. And it just, it just grew into something good where we can reach outside the, the building. But I will tell you this. Statistically, the most effective witnessing evangelistic tool is the one-on-one -on -one evangelist is what you do to your family, your friends, your field of influence. Dan said, I evangelize everyone. I really don't. God deals with me. I miss a lot of opportunities. But I will tell you, in the last several years, God has put a, a, a new burden in me to evangelize. It's helped me get over my fear of evangelizing. It is, it is fearful. I will tell you that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through this morning. But my desire for Bethel this year, and for me, is that we would create more of a culture of evangelism. The world is raging. The it's, a, it's an election year, folks. It's going to be wild this year. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be wild. The culture is raging. And we have the message. And we have as good a time to share it as there's ever been. And I hope that this year that God will birth in me an, a, even a fresher desire to share the good news of Christ. What I'll be talking about a little bit this morning comes directly from a book that I read not long ago called, by a man named J. Mack Stiles on how the whole church speaks Jesus. How the whole church speaks Jesus. And if you look at the uh, introduction or the, or the paragraph that I have on your, on your outline, you'll see this comes directly from him. It says that every few years, churches jump into the latest evangelistic fad, Leaders administrate the new program, and members go on a raid. Now, once again, I'm not opposed to that. We'll be doing some outreaches again this year. We, have a, we, have, we bought a grill here not long ago. We go out in some places where there's a lot of people. That's what Christ did. He went where people were. And we feed, and we share, and then we get a chance to talk individually with people. And if you've never evangelized, it's kind of a safe place to do that. And I'm not here to criticize anyone who doesn't do that. My goal today is to challenge you. And to kind of tell you some of my fears, how I was able to overcome them, and what has worked sometimes and what has not worked for me. But picture a church where evangelism is simply part of the culture. A culture is described as a new way of life for groups and people. It's shared values and goals. Can you imagine if every single member, attender of Bethel this year said, this year is going to be the year that I evangelize? This is going to be the year that I'm going to 
speak the good news of Christ to my coworker, to my loved ones, to my field of influence, to the people I meet in the gym, wherever it is, this is the year that I'm going to do that. Leaders share their faith consistently and openly. I can't ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself, and that definitely should come from the top. And if you've been with Pastor Don Long, you know you don't go anywhere with that man, and he's not talking to everybody. He's like a politician. He witnesses to everyone. But I want to see that in my pastor. I want to see that in my church leadership. Because if it don't mean enough to you to share, how in the world are you going to stand in a pulpit and share it with people and encourage people to do that? As a matter of fact, not long ago, we, we had a transition committee here at the church, and all we did was create a transition plan for what it would look like, the steps that's, that, w- that the church would follow when the day comes we have to look for a, a lead pastor. And we had criteria in there. And one of those criteria was that this, would, as we questioned these candidates, was that a panel questions candidates, is tell us the last time that you evangelized, that you personally evangelized. And if someone was, a, was applying to be a pastor of this church and they couldn't give me a very recent time that they had personally evangelized, I would have no desire and interest in him being my pastor. Because I think it's that important. Members follow, encourage to one another, make evangelism an ongoing way of life. Evangelism is more than a program. Evangelism is simply telling the good news of Jesus, come to save sinners. The key verse this morning is Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit, of the, righteousness, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Are you wise this morning? It, it's strategy, folks. It, it has to be something that you start doing. It has to be a plan. You have to have the wisdom to put a plan in place. And we'll talk more about what that looks like practically as we go forward. As I mentioned, it's simply telling the good news of Jesus come to save sinners. Jesus said in Mark 1, 14 through 15, he said, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The NIV there says, Repent and believe in the good news. We're simply going out and sharing a message. That's simply all we're doing. But I think what happens to us, what happens to me, is somehow I start feeling responsible for the results. I'm not responsible for the results. God hadn't called me to be responsible. That's his job, and he's very good at it. But he's called us all to go and share the message, to go and share the message. Let's look for just a minute, on, on, and I have this. The outline is, is much more for me than it is for you, but, but you have one. Feel free to, to, to uh, follow along with me. It says, why we do not evangelize. I think the main reason that people do not evangelize, it was the main reason I didn't evangelize for many years, and it's still one of the main hindrances to me many times in evangelizing, is that we fear people's opinion and reaction. They're going to think I'm a Jesus freak. They're going to think I'm a nut. But I want to tell you, as someone who has started to make evangelism more of his life, still not where it should be, people in the right circumstances are very open to talking to you about faith. People are hungry for something. And we had that. But we have to be willing to get over our fear. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also I trust are well known in your consciousness. Look, 
knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the wrath that is to come. I want to persuade people. I don't want to browbeat them. I don't want to condemn them to hell because I don't get to do that. I'm not going to put them in heaven because I don't get to do that. But I want to persuade them. And I want to have enough of the God's Word in me, that's important, and enough of God's love in me, that's important, to persuade them. To per- simply persuade them. Another reason I think we don't evangelize is we're not fully convinced ourselves. We're not fully convinced ourselves. i got to believe, and I'll tell you what, what really pricked my heart several years ago. I was still working. We had a couple officers pass away unexpectedly, got sick, and one was a stroke. I mean, really unexpectedly. And I knew these men, and I went to their funeral, as we always do, and I see the, the second one that was soon after the first, and, and I walked up to the casket, and really, God spoke to my spirit and said, how many people are going to cross your path, Larry, and you're not going to tell them about me? That's a sobering fact, folks. That man is here no more. And I don't know where he stood with the Lord. I know I had some conversations with him in the past, but I had never shared my faith or shared Christ with him. Would it have mattered? I don't know. That's God's job. But I just know the Lord pricked my heart at that point. And I said, I need to make some changes in my life. I need to understand what God's word has commanded me to do. And I sensed that some way we feel like if we're not careful, we bind this whole idea of universalism, that somehow everybody goes. Everybody somehow gets to heaven. They, they just get there. I wish that were true, church, but it's not. It's not biblical. If people we know, our friends, our family have rejected Christ, and that's what sends people eternally separated from God. They have made a conscious choice decision to reject the Lord. Then they, the Bible tells me they spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. And that's sobering to me. And i got to believe that if I really believe that about my friends that I care about, about my loved ones, that I would at least say to them, have you thought about this? Have you given some thought about where you stand with Christ today? Many times I finish mine like this. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? I don't ask them to answer the question. That is a very uncomfortable question for people, and they don't know how to answer it a lot of ways. I mean, their, their default answer is going to be, I'm going to heaven like everybody else. But where will you spend eternity? And it, it's a sobering. And then I say, if that, if that question is resonating with you, I'd like to talk to you about my faith and what I believe. How do we get to heaven? But we got to know the message. Next, and this is where I land a lot, church. This is where I lay quite a bit. We don't care. Um, we really don't care that much. I'm saved. My wife's saved. My boys are saved. My four, no more. And, and, and if we're not careful, we get to that in our church. We come in, we come, our folks are saved. I'm looking at many people here, most in here that I think are saved. And we're good. The rest of those people out there, they can just figure it out on their own. That's not biblical. That's not what Christ did. That's not what he commanded us to do. He commanded us to go and tell a message, to go and share who he is. The next uh, series of statements come directly from J. Max Stiles' book. He gave 11 characteristics of a person or a church with a culture of evangelism. Now, I didn't pick all 11 in interesting time. I just picked a few. I can email them to you if you're interested in them. But I found these pretty fascinating, and I want to go through those briefly. First, a church and a person that, is motiv- that it has a characteristic or a culture of evangelism, they are motivated by love 
of, for, for Jesus and his gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us. What compels me is the love of Christ that compels me. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The love of Christ is what compels me. I believe he died for me, and he rose. And so that compels me to go out and tell, and tell others that Christ died for them, and he rose. And through them, they can have eternal life, and they can have eternal hope. Motivated by that. They're confident in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So I'm saying there's power in the message. There's power in just the words and in the message of the gospel that Jesus come to save sinners. This next one I found interesting, and I spent a little time reading it and studying it a little bit and found it to be very true. They understand the danger of entertainment. We live in an entertainment culture. We, everybody wants to be entertained. And unfortunately, that entertainment culture has bled into our church. Come, I want to like the music. I want to like, feel good. I want everything to be just right. If you entertain me well, I will come back. I had a conversation recently with a young pastor who's pastoring a church here, and we were talking a little bit about this consumerism, this idea of consumerism as it relates to the faith. Jesus never gave a consumerism a gospel. He gave a crucify your flesh, take up your cross, and come follow me gospel. And it's not easy. I got a newsflash for you. I'm not going to tell anyone that being a follower of Christ is easy, because it is not. It's not easy. But the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers to do it. Ezekiel prophesying to Jerusalem after the fall of Jerusalem. He was prophesying to them about how they had gone wrong, the things that they were doing that was displeasing to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and he said this, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of your houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that's come from the Lord. So they come to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, and they do not do them, for with their mouth they show much love. But their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. There's a lot of people, folks, they're just, just discontent to come in and let me hear a good song, let pastor say something that makes me feel good that sends me out in 2020 pumped up and fired up but I have no intentions of changing one thing in my life the gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives and if that Holy Spirit invades them you share the message and the Holy Spirit does his work in the life of people it's going to change them it's going to change their lives how I mean we've met countless people how does it change their lives We've met people, I used to be a drunk, I'm not a drunk anymore. I used to be an angry person. I used to be materialistic. All these things we hear, these testimonies we hear, I'm not that person anymore. He changes our lives. 
And that changing process is an ongoing thing. It goes on from here until we're glorified in his presence and we no longer struggle with the flesh. But it changes people's lives. But it won't be done through entertainment. It won't be done because people come in and hear a, 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 you know, a, a fast song or hear something that entertains them. I want them to be convicted. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. He does that. He does that through anointed music. He does that through the preaching of the word. He does that through your one-on-one conversation many times with your friends and your family. They model evangelism in 2 Timothy 2 and 22. And the things you have heard from me, from among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you uncomfortable with this? Is evangelism something you're not comfortable with? I understand. I'm still not comfortable with it at times. Then get with someone who is. Talk to Sister Carol. Talk to Brother Don. Sister Kristen, I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you. Maybe we talked about during the outreach, maybe actually having an evangelism training session. And I'm no expert. But I'll just tell you what works for me. I'll tell you my, my, my um, system. And we all have them. When I meet someone new, if I meet someone new in the gym, I, I don't jump right into it. I don't say, hey, are you saved? Are you, are you going to heaven? Are you going to hell? Those people will be like, whoa, dude. Go back to where you could. Get back on the machine you were on and don't talk to me no more. What I try to do is build that relationship. We talk about the ball game. We talk about this. We talk about that. And I let them get to know Larry a little bit. But I will tell you that any person that I have a contact with, the thing that's in the back of my mind is I'm saying, and I'm going to talk about praying in a little bit, Lord, give me an opportunity. Open a door because I want to ask them about you. I want to talk to them about you. That's all it is. I want to challenge them. And I have yet to have one somebody say to me, I don't want to hear that junk. Now, I know some people who witness have, and that's okay. I've had some that, that kind of cut the conversation down pretty quick, and that's okay too. One in particular cut the conversation down pretty quick, and he kind of semi-avoids me now in the gym, and that's okay. I'm a big boy. You're big people. I'm working with the Lord. I'm more concerned about what he thinks than what they think. I'm more concerned about what he thinks than what they think. But I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm not talking about being a jerk to people. I've seen that so many times, and that's not, to me, that's not effective evangelism. But I will say this, church. Some of you know that I've volunteered since I've retired with, with the Billy Graham Association. I've been out with them uh, several places in the nation. Most recently, I've come out of the Bahamas. And I've seen what I like to do when I meet people that I'm going to be working with. I ask them, I said, how did you come to know the Lord? I'm always intrigued in that. Why? I just want to know, I want to know their story. I want to know their testimony. But what has helped me to do? I used to be a little bit critical of certain evangelistic styles, I will tell you. Street preachers, I always thought street preachers were annoying. Tracks, I always thought, well, tracks, well, that's, that's an easy man's way out, just handing somebody something. I, I was. But as I began to talk to folks and ask them that question, how did you come to know Christ? I have, heard, I have experienced people who have been saved by a tract, people who have been saved by a street preacher. When I say saved, that's what the Lord used. Crusades, I know people who are very critical of crusades. And these are some fascinating stories. One of the guys who works full-time now with BGEA was a tract. It was a tract. He was walking along, and some guy, and you, you've probably happened to you before, he's out there handing them out. He sticks them in this dude's hand. And what are dudes, when somebody sticks something in their hand, what do we do? We cram it in our pocket with everything else, our change and all that stuff. He took it home. 
And when he got home with it, we take our change out and stuff. We threw it up on his chest of drawers, his dresser. And it laid there for a few days. But guess what happened? He picked it up a few days later and he began to read it. And God convicted his heart and he got saved. And he works in the ministry full time now. But somebody put a tract in his hand. So I came back and said, Lord, forgive me for being, sitting here one, doing nothing, and criticizing those who are doing something. That's what I was convicted of. Forgive me for doing nothing and criticizing those who are doing something. Because it's not up to me, Lord. Your Holy Spirit will use a tract. It'll use a street preacher. It'll use a crusade. It'll use a preacher from a pulpit. It'll use people in their families. But we've got to go out and do something. And you will, you will bless. You will move. But we have to model it. And it's a culture in which people who are sharing their faith are celebrated. I'm sorry. It says they will do ministry that is risky or dangerous. Do you know, you know Jesus never said that we, that we were going to necessarily be safe? There's nothing where he said go out and, 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 and be my disciples if it's safe. Or if you feel like it. Or if you're comfortable with it. He said go and be my disciples and be my witnesses. That's what he said to and I'm not saying that we're going to, we, that's why I'm so glad we support our missionaries. As Brother Dan said, we got some we can't even mention their names or where they are because they're in a very dangerous place. That's a unique call. And I'm not saying that you go out and say, well, I'm going to go to Iraq now. But what I am saying to you is that it's not a matter of whether or not you feel like doing it or whether it's uncomfortable. Because I'm going to tell you, church, it's going to be uncomfortable. It runs contrary to your flesh. To, to want it. There's many times I go out and you know what all it takes with me? I can go out in the morning. I can have a prayer that morning. I can say, Lord, open up a door for me to, to witness this morning. I would like to bump into somebody that I could share you with. And all it takes is I'm riding down the road, and some dude cuts me off on the highway. Then my attitude gets bad, and I miss it altogether. That happens to me. I'm here to tell you. I ain't witnessing to nobody today. I'd like to go in and strangle the life out of that dude right there. That's what I'd like to do. Has that happened to you? It happens to me. Okay? And that's Okay. Because this is spiritual. These are spiritual battles. This is spiritual warfare. That's why when we get down into the practical tips, you're going to see some of the things we have to do if you really want to do this. And I hope that you do, because I want to tell you this, church. You might, a lot of people say this. They say, well, I'm not really called to do that. You're right. You're not. You're not called to do it. You're commanded. Jesus commanded us to do this. And if we're his follower, he said, go tell. Go make disciples. Go do this. Go do that. And I think, unfortunately, in our American culture, we say that's the pastor's job, that's the deacon's job, that's the leaders of the church's job. No, it's not. It's our job. It is our job. And you know what? I'll wait till we get down here to finish that to talk more about that. <clears throat> they understand that the church is the best method of evangelism. Acts 2, 46 through 47. It says, So continually and daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who added daily? Who added daily? The Lord did. It's not my responsibility. But I want to do this. Here's where I have to caution you and I have to caution myself. I don't want to go out there and, and when I evangelize, a lot of times I'm doing it out of simple obedience. I've shared this with a couple men in the church. I will tell you that the vast majority of what I do for the Lord, I do out of obedience. 
I wished I felt like it. I've got some friends. There's one guy on Facebook that I know. He's a buddy of mine. Man, he's putting, he goes out and he evangelizes all the time. And he's, and he's got a full-time job, but he just does it. He bubbles with joy. He lives in Florida. And he just loves it. I, I just want to smack him sometime. Because he just seems to love it so much. But me, I go out and I'm like, you know, God, I, you know I don't feel like doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out in obedience. But here's what I found. When I get in and I get to talking to someone and I get into a conversation, man, the joy of the Lord and my love for him and my desire that they come to know him begins to just roll out of me. And it will you, especially if they're open to the conversation. And many people are. But you got to strike it up. You got to look for the, Sister Carol said it so, so well, you got to look for the segues, you got to look for the bridges. But the only way you'll look for the bridges is if you're going into a conversation, always with that in the back of your mind. It's always got to be there. And it takes time, it takes practice. Practical tips for personal evangelism. Folks, you got to pray. You have to pray. You have to spend some time before the Lord. And you got to pray, Lord, open the door. I, will, I can guarantee you this, just because I've experienced this so many times. If you do this with a sincere heart, if you say, Lord, I want someone, put someone in my path today that needs to hear an encouraging word, that needs prayer, that I would like to share what you've done for me or share the gospel with them, would you do that for me today? I can guarantee you if you pray that on a consistent basis, that will happen. Because I don't have any doubt as to whether or not it's his will that we evangelize and that people come to him. That's, that's what the whole Bible's about. It's about redemption. How many of you have experienced that before? You've prayed that and you know that the Lord set someone in your path. It happens. The key for us is don't miss it when he does, because I've done that too. And I walk away like, man, I just blew it. You did it, Lord, and I blew it. That dude cut me off on the freeway and I just I let that bother me too much. That happens, but you've got to pray. Here is what I find practically is one of the best things you can do to evangelize and to open up doors for whether it's coworkers, family members, is that you can go and pray for a lost for them, a coworker or a family that's in crisis, particularly if they're in the hospital. This is ever important today, particularly in our younger generation, for anyone 30 and younger. Church, we're churched people. We're con- you've got a pastor. You've got a whole church that if you have a crisis in your life, you've gotten a bad diagnosis, you've lost your job, you're going to go to somebody in the church that you can trust, or you're going to call Sister Teresa, and you, you've all seen them. It's going to go out on Facebook, and there's going to be at least several people praying for you. You get to gather around an altar, which we'll do shortly, and we're going to pray. you got that. But do you know that the vast majority of our society today does not have that? They don't particularly the younger people. If I were to ask Dylan or if Michael or Christy were here, Brother Brent's here, they'll tell you, these young, they don't, they don't, we don't have a church culture in this nation anymore. And Sister Carol said every member a minister, that might have been just a churchism 50 years ago, but that is a reality today. The only pastor, the only prayer, the only word of God that many will get in our society today is if you're willing to step out on faith and go give it to them. It's just that simple. There's family, there's friends, there's people going to the hospital. Nobody's coming to pray for them. Unfortunately, there's many people who might go up and visit them that are Christians that don't pray. They don't pray for one, a couple reasons. Either they're not comfortable praying, which I can't quite figure that out, 
Or they don't believe in healing is for today. Church, we're a church of Pentecostal spirit filled with believing in the power of God. You go to where your coworker is and say, walk in and just simply say, I'm here to check on you. How you doing today? What's the doctors told you? And you have that small talk and you say, can I do something for you? Can I pray for you? And the, but, but while you're going down that hospital corridor, you're praying, God, let the power of God move. Let there be healing in that room. But more importantly, let there be salvation in that room. And walk down there and have that prayer before you get there. Walk in there as a spirit-filled, Bible-believing believer. And then share and talk with them and say, can I pray with you before I leave? I, will, I have never had anybody say no. Never. And I've been and prayed with a lot of people, particularly when I was working, because I knew I had a lot. People asked me before what I miss about my job. I miss my ministry field. There's a lot of people. And if I found out they were in the hospital, it's my opportunity. I'm going to go pray with them. Never had anybody say no. And then you say, can I put my hands on you? You know why? Because I believe that God still heals. And he just might use me that day to touch that person. And they might be healed. And the prayer of faith might heal them. And their sins might be forgiven. You know, we want to see people healed, and I do too. But I tell you, I want to see people saved. And many, many, many times when Jesus healed, when he did miracles, he did them to draw people to him eternally. And that is a wonderful way. And they won't forget it. They will not forget that encounter. Now, it's not about them not forgetting. It's not about them saying to you, I appreciate you coming and praying for me. What it does, two things. It, one, it goes up there and God may move in that situation. And two, you established a wonderful relationship with that person. They do care that you come up there and prayed with them. That opens a door then for you later to say, well, let me ask you a question. Maybe you have lunch with them after they get out of the hospital. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Christ? Have you ever put your trust in him? Do you know what that even means? Because they, since they're not in church, folks, they don't even know what it means. They don't even know what the gospel is. It's a great way to do it. I'm going to challenge you this year. If you know there's a family member, a loved one, a co-worker that's in the hospital, go pray with them. Say, I'm going to go pray with them. I'm going to go up there and see them. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to put some effort into it. But it is a great way to evangelize. Learn and practice the gospel message. You do need to know the gospel. Uh, you do need to go to the gospel. Um, we have some tracks here at the church. I have a few of the, the Billy Graham tracks left called uh, Steps to Peace with God that just really simply explain the gospel message. You need to know how to explain it. You, know, you, need, to, you need to know how to give the message. And it's, it's really an easy message that there is a God. Did you know the statistics say that most people believe there's a God? So that's a good start. And I just want to tell you what I believe. I believe there's a God. And that God is perfectly righteous and holy. And most people believe that too. And you know what? When I die, I'm going to stand before that perfectly righteous and holy God. And if I die and I stand before him and I'm not righteous and I'm not perfectly holy. And most people are going to agree with that because they know they're not either. And if I stand before him, I don't have no defense. If he asks me, Larry, how you, why should I let you into my, my kingdom? What am I going to say? I stand there defenseless. That's bad news. But then there's good news. He sent his son. And that son came and he took my sin. He said, if you'll put your trust in me, you put your hope in me, you'll make me Lord of your life. I'll take that sin debt and I'll give you righteousness. And then when I stand before God, he don't see that. He sees his son. That's the gospel message. Plain and simple, and there's power in it. And that's what I believe.
Now, I'm not one of the center, I'm not one of the prayer guys. I, you know, you'll work out your own style. I know some people say, can I get you to pray? Would you like to pray this prayer with me? I'll say, can I pray for you? And then I'll say, look, I'd like to talk to you more about this. And, and I'll try to build into that. Do you think, because we do have to be careful. There's a lot of criticism going out, out there about people leading people to a sinner's prayer and then saying, okay, you're saved. Going, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll leave that between you and the Lord and that person. But we've got to be careful. But I will say this, there's a lot of people out there to say there's no biblical evidence for a, a little prayer saving somebody. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. There was a tax collector that walked into the synagogue one day, and the Bible says he beat his chest, and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. It's, so it's not, not what you say. It's the heart in which the person says it. And that's what I can't see. And I don't, want to, I don't want to move into the fear of having a prayer with them and then, saying, then pronouncing salvation over them. I think we can have that prayer. And then as pastor says, we can say, if you said that and you're sincere in your heart, but only God knows that. But those are the things that you have to work out. The main thing you need to do is, is share the message because the Holy Spirit does the work. Tell your story. Pastor did a message not long ago about telling your story. You ain't got to know everything. Tell them, tell them what Christ has done for you. We all have a story. My story's different than your story. You know, my story to a lot of the guys that I get to talk to is I was a good guy. You know, I was saved as a young boy. And I got away from the Lord, but in, but in the world's eyes, I was a good husband. I was providing for my family. You know, I was a good guy. But I knew I wasn't where the Lord wanted me to be. I, I was doing my thing. And, and there's a lot of guys that I talk to, witness to, they're good guys. They work. They provide for their families and the eyes of society. They're good people, but they're lost people. And I want them to understand the message of the gospel. And so we have to tell our story. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. And look what it says, With meekness and fear. Be ready. Be ready to tell your story. Be ready to share that gospel message, but with meekness and fear. Man, and please, if you're getting your, or if someone that you are in your family is getting their theology off of Facebook, please, please, be, that's terrible. Because we're, the, the Christian community is beating each other to death on that platform. I don't see a lot of meekness and fear there, but they can get that from you. You do it with meekness and fear. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, in the interest of time, I won't read the whole thing, but it's found in John 9. A blind man was healed. He was, he was blind from birth. And Jesus healed him. And, and so the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they didn't like that very much. And so they, they asked his parents. And, and, it, and look, it was spreading all over because people were saying, isn't that the guy that was blind from birth? Yeah, that's him. Are you sure that's him? Looks like him. I don't know. Yeah, that's him. He's blind from birth. Well, go ask him. So they asked me, he said, yeah, I was blind. This, this man named Jesus, he healed me. So the, so the religious leaders, they call the parents into the synagogue and they say, we're hearing that this man Jesus healed your son. Tell us about it. Yeah, he did. He healed him. He said, well, tell us about it. Was he, has he been blind since birth? How did he, he heal him? Well, they were afraid of them. They were afraid they were going to put him out of the temple. So they said, look, he's a grown man. Go ask him yourself. So they bring this man in. They said, uh. Tell us, were you blind at birth? Yes, I was. This man, Jesus, he healed me. And they start firing all these questions at him. And when you get out there and get to talking to people, some people are going to fire questions at you. 
that you ain't going to know all the answers to. But you ain't got to know all the answers. You can simply answer like he answered. I can't answer all your questions, but I was blind and now I see. I can't answer all your questions. I just know what he's done in my life. I know there's a peace in my life I can't get nowhere else. I know that if I die and stand before the Lord that I have peace with Him, that I'm going to be able to spend eternity with Him because I've put my trust in Him. Now all these other questions you keep asking me, these deeper theological questions, well, do you eat this now or do you do that now? I'm not getting into all that with you. I just want you to know what it means to come be a follower of the Lord. You come figure it out. I can't answer all the questions. Now I do think it's helpful if you study, particularly if you're going to go out and move into any type of street ministry and things, you're going to have to know the Word of God. But really simply, you just have to be able to tell your story. Last year, I believe it was the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they started a campaign. It was called, Who's Your One? And you'll see here, I have pick a lost friend, a loved one, and make them your goal for 2020. I like that campaign, Who's Your One? And he just said, listen, could you imagine if every believer in Christ picked one person that God said, God, put, put somebody in my heart. And they prayed for that one person. Start by praying for them. Then start strategically by saying, hey, can we have lunch one day? Or maybe you already have that type of relationship with them. And you, this is the person that I'm going to overcome my fear with. I'm going to pick one person. So today I challenge you, if you've never done pick one person. As, I've, as these words have just left my mouth, if somebody comes to your mind and say, you know what, this year, I'm going to make them my project. I'm going, to get to, I'm going to spend some time with them, and I'm going to share my faith with them. One person. One person. And I'm going to close with this, volunteer in a ministry, something like pregnancy support services, emergency chaplains, or the supper club. Sister Lisa Rogers volunteers with the emergency chaplains. She loves it. Uh, it's a group of people who minister and go out and ride with first responders. They ride with firefighters, police officers, EMS. You want to see people in crisis? You want to see some serious people in crisis. And you know what, that's just, that's just a golden time, just like going to pray with your loved ones because the heart might be prepared. You know, the psalmist said this, the psalmist said, when I was afflicted, then I sought the laws of the Lord. I sought the law of the Lord. Sometimes, I hate to say this, folks, but sometimes God uses crisis and affliction to get our attention. He'd get our attention one way or the other. And he might send you up there as his ambassador to someone who's in crisis, who's sick, who's gotten a bad report to be his ambassador and, and, and be able to speak into that heart that may never be like that again. And then there's a supper club. Michael and Christy told us about that. Um, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, if you want to know more about that, we, Tammy and I have enjoyed that. Uh, basically, it's done through Duke. Hundreds of international students come to Duke every year, and they never get to go into an American home. And you, you, you go through, you get a couple days of training. It's pretty common sense stuff. They assign you to international students. And we've had a, a young man from China and a young man from India in our home now four times. Uh, Yang most recently came into our home Christmas Day. Yang, I would say, is probably atheist, but not by choice, probably more by he hasn't heard. It's hard for us to believe there's people who really haven't heard the message. And so we get to build a relationship with him. And he gets to see how we celebrate Christmas. We read the Christmas story. And I get to tell him about Christ. And in my heart's desire is that Holy Spirit prick his heart. Save his soul. Because he has intention of going back to China when he finishes here. Send him back to China and then let him revolutionize China. That's how it works. I don't get to see it. But I'm, I'm convinced of this. And I'm going to close with this. I'm convinced in this. You get out and begin to evangelize and look for ways to evangelize. And there's lots of ways in our nation. You're going to get up there in heaven one day. 
And somebody's going to come along and they're going to tap you on the shoulder. And they're going to say, you don't remember me. You don't know me. But I'm here because you spoke a word to me. Or I'm here because you had a, 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 a man straight from China in your home. He got saved. He came back to China. And I accepted the Lord for that. That's where I think we'll realize the fruit of our labor. But in the meantime, we're just working for the Lord. And I want to challenge you this year to let Bethel have a culture of evangelism, to be excited about it, to encourage each other in it. And I'd love to hear your story. If you go out today and you're in your school or you're in your workplace and you talk to someone and the conversation goes well, I'd just love to hear about your conversation. I'd love to hear how you segued into it. Share it with us. We'd like to hear it. I asked Brother Michael, he made these up some time ago, and he's made up some more. Um, we've got some cards, and I've put some back on the uh, Welcome Center, and I have some up here. Whenever you have or encounter someone, you get to talk to someone, leave something with them. Now, if they're local here in Durham, we want you to leave, the, you can leave one of these with them regardless. But see, what I, I think is important, people get critical of the, of the church. When I say the church, I mean ecclesia, Greek word, I mean the people. These four walls and these beams aren't going out talking to anybody. When we talk about the church evangelizing, we're talking about the people. But it's important, no matter what other people say, it's important to come into a local body, get connected. This is where you'll grow. This is where you'll hear, get anointed worship every week. This is where you'll hear anointed word every week. And you know what the purpose for that is? If you went out and asked people today, what's the purpose of church? They'd probably say, what's well, to worship God? It is. But that's not the primary purpose. Folks, the primary purpose is for the equipping of the saints. It's to bring you in, get you under anointing worship, get you under anointing word, so you can walk right out those doors and have an impact in your culture. That's what it's for. But we have these cards made up, and they got all our information. They got our seal here that's only going to be on the sign. They got the lead pastor, the church times, the website, all those things, and on the back is basically the Roman road. And if you get a chance to talk to someone and have a good encounter with someone, keep some of these in your pocket. I keep about 10 in my pocket on a rubber band. And he did them in a heavier stock this time so they don't get all ratty. The other ones I used to have, I'd pull them out. I was like, I hate to give them this thing. This thing looks terrible. But this doesn't. And say, hey, why don't you come and worship with us one Sunday? I like that word, worship. Why don't you come to church and put it in their hand? But if you're going to do that, and I've got some up here, and I'm going to challenge you in a minute if you'd like to come up. We're going to bring everybody up, and if you'd like a few of these cards, I'm going to put some in your hand. And I'm going to ask Brother Dan and Brother Todd, and we just want to pray over you. If you'll say, Larry, I want to be bold this year in my faith. Because this is just a card, and this card isn't going to save a soul. But I believe that the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the anointing of God can rest on a card. Now, I know that sounds a little kooky to some people. But my prayer is going to be this as we put them in your hand. God, give whoever that is, boldness this year, to step out, evangelize, place that card in their hand, and then let your spirit, let them, maybe they're going to take it like, like Kevin did from BGA. He's going to throw it in their pocket, and he's going to throw it up on the counter, but then he's going to pick it up, and he's going to say, you know, I mean to make some things right. And they're going to walk through that door, and God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is going to convict their heart, and they're going to surrender their lives to Christ. That's what this is about. That's what it's all about. I'm going to ask Matt and the team if they'll come forward. The last sentence on your paper says, For God so loved the world, not just a few, the wise, the great, the noble, and the true, or those of favored class or rank or hue. God loved the world. Do you? I have to ask myself that a lot. Church, I don't mind telling you. I have to, do I really love people enough 
to share the message with them. And look, you have the tools. And this, the moment you decide, if you're here this morning, you said, you know, I'm going to do this. You'll walk out of here and you'll say, man, I don't speak well enough. You don't know some of the things that are going on in my life. I got all my own struggles. That's okay. God will use you no matter what. He will use a willing heart. And he wants to use you. And he has said to you, you go. You be my ambassador. You be my disciples. And just go share the message. Go share the message. If you're here this morning and you'd like to come down, let me, let me say this. I ask everyone, if they will, here to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I'll ask you what I ask people sometimes. If you die today, where are you going to spend eternity? And if you can't say with a certain yes that I will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord, you come down and let us pray for you. Don't let pride get in your way. If you say, Larry, my life is not where it needs to be, come down and simply let us pray for you. We are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You come. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if, you, if, if something, being bold in your witness in 2020 is something you want to do, maybe it's, you know sitting in your seat, Larry, this is going to be uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable for me, folks. But you got to take the steps. But I'm going to try. I want 2020 to be the year that I, I move my life into a culture of evangelism. You come. We're simply going to give you a couple of these cards, Brother Todd, Brother Dan, myself, and we're just going to pray for you. We're going to pray that God will give you the boldness that won't let the devil steal it from you, and he'll open those doors for you. So you come if you'd like, if you'd like to be a witness for the Lord this year more than ever. Anybody else? Church, we've got a stack of those cards out on the Welcome Center. And maybe you didn't come up, but I, I want to challenge you to pick up a couple on your way out. But, but don't, don't just put them in your pocket. Pick it up in faith. And say, Lord, help me. Help me to give this to somebody who needs to hear, hear about you this year. You do that, and you watch what happens. You watch what happens. And you invite them here. And then we'll see what God does in their life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we don't go out and do this on our own. Lord, you've given us authority. That's the thing, God. You gave us, you sent us out with authority, your authority, the authority of the Holy Spirit to go out and make a difference in our world. And we don't work on our own. We work with you. We work along beside you, God, and you go before us. And so, Lord, I pray for every person who's raised their hand. I pray for every person who will pick up one of those cards. I pray that this year will be the year that Bethel Christian Center bombards its culture. God, that we will make a difference, Lord, in the places that you've placed us. And God, that we'll see souls saved. God, in a world that's screaming and hollering at one another, about the Democrats and Republicans and this and that, we'll just simply step in with a good news and a message of hope. Come to the cross.
Come to the cross. Come to the Lord. And while they're shouting, Lord, as we sang earlier, we'll sing a little louder. We'll praise a little louder. We'll worship a little louder. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, I do want to remind you again about the um, service here. New Year's Eve, it's at 6.30. It starts at 6.30, and it does not go to midnight for those of you who worried about that, who can't stay up that late because that makes two of us. It's about an hour and a half. But it will be churches here that are part of DMIP, different congregations. To me, that's what the church is. It's different denominations, different races, and come. So if you don't have any plans, and even if you do, even if you have some later dinner plans, come. It's 6.30 to 8. Come and, and, and represent Bethel Christian Center uh, for Pastor Don and our leadership. And worship. And worship on, on New Year's Day. I'm going to be out of town. Uh, I wish I was not, especially since it's going to be here at our church, but I will be. But if you don't have plans, please come. And let's worship and let's prepare for 2020 and see what 2020 holds for us. I know who holds it. 2020 was good for me. I, don't, I mean, 19 was good for me. I don't know what 2020 is going to be like. But my hope, my faith, and my trust is secure in Him. And He'll help you and me face whatever it is we may face in 2020. God bless you. We hope to see you um, Tuesday night. Have a good day.